Hello, and welcome to Unknowable, the podcast where we talk about all things mysterious, unusual, or unknowable. I'm Justine. And I'm Gray. Some weeks we break down one larger mystery between the two of us. Other weeks we pick two smaller mysteries on a theme and teach each other about them based on our own independent research. This week, we're talking about a case that we've both been fascinated about for a long time. Fascinated. It's uh, D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper. Or Dan Cooper. As you will find out, is the more correct yes, name. But everybody knows him as D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper. Which, if he's alive nowadays, which we were just talking about and probably not. Right. For a lot of reasons, not least of which is the fact <clears throat> that he'd be in his 90s. Right. Still possible. Still possible. Not so probable. But he'd probably maybe be a little annoyed. Yeah. Though Dan Cooper probably wasn't his real name anyways. Yeah. We'll get into that as well. Yeah. So. This case. Yes. Is awesome. It is. It's okay. really fascinating. It's, yeah. It's the only unsolved air piracy case in the history of the United States. Which is amazing. So amazing. I actually did not know that fact. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. You figure anybody who like hijacks a plane, we know who it was. It They haven't gotten away with it. Yeah. It, it, it always ends in someone getting arrested. So this is the only case of somebody hijacking a plane and demanding ransom money and has never been caught and there's been what like a thousand suspects that mm. have been like examined over the course of 40 years a thousand serious yeah. suspects not even just people right. but like seriously considered right none of them are it none of them or maybe one of them was him and he just was good at covering his tracks yeah so but he just disappeared into the night literally yeah. literally Fucking awesome. So All right, let's dive in. Wednesday, November 24th, 1971. Yes. Day before Christmas or uh, Thanksgiving. Yes. Well. <laughs> Not Christmas Eve. Yes. Thanksgiving Eve. Thanksgiving Eve. A middle aged man yep. with a black attache case. Okay. Like a suitcase, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. I really botched that. <laughs> I, was trying, I was like going into that, like, I'm going to sound so classy. It's so classy. <laughs> I botched it. Um, walks up to the flight counter of Northwest Orient Airlines. Which, in Portland, Oregon. In Portland, Oregon. Yeah, sadly not Portland, Maine. That would be cool. Portland International Airport. Okay. Identified himself as Dan Cooper. Yeah. And purchased a plane ticket for $20 in cash. 20 fucking dollars for a plane ticket. Amazing enough by itself. And the right. fact that you could just, like, I, don't know, I just can't even... I know you can technically do it nowadays, but I just can't imagine just going to the airport and buying a ticket at the counter. And, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get on this plane, like, right now. Yeah, like I'm sure he probably walked up like and got on the flight 30 minutes later. Yeah, it's which is crazy enough. Like he probably the flight counter was probably like within view of where you sit to like board the plane. Right, and I wonder if there wasn't even like a like one of those tubes that you walk through to get to the plane. Maybe mm. you walk out like onto the tarmac and then climb into the plane. That'd be awesome. It's wild. It's a whole yeah. different, whole different era. Whole different era. So he got on flight 305. Yeah, a one-way flight to 30-minute trip to Seattle. So, just a little ways north. Yep. Got on the aircraft, Boeing 727. Yep. Took seat. Actually, the seat that he took is up for debate. Interesting. Weirdly enough. 18C, some say it was 18E, some say 15D. Doesn't really matter. Interesting. It was the rear of the passenger cabin. Okay. Lit a cigarette. Got a bourbon and soda. Because it's the 70s. It's the 70s. Um, People described him later as a man in his mid-40s, between 5'10 and 6 feet. Black lightweight raincoat, loafers, dark suit, neatly pressed white collared shirt, black clip on tie, and a mother of pearl pie tin. Wow. <laughs> tie pin. 
Mother of Pearl tie pin. Pie tin. Pie tin. <laughs> pie tin still works. Yeah. That will that will factor in later. It will factor in. Um, so the weird thing that got me about this flight yeah. is that this was, and it confused me when I first read it because I was like, wait, what? It was a flight from Washington, D.C. to Seattle. So you see my confusion because I'm like, wait, he got on the flight in Portland. Washington, D.C. to Seattle with stops in Minneapolis, Great Falls, Missoula, Spokane, and Portland along the way. Okay. So I was telling Nate this morning, I'm like, did planes just operate like buses at the time? They I just guess so. It started in D.C. and it was just stopping at all these places and people were just getting off and on. Interesting. Along the way, that's so I guess weird. that would make sense. I mean, that's probably still kind of how it works. Like, if you have, like, a right. layover somewhere. Yeah. People, yeah. Some people get, get on, get some people on get the off. same plane. Right. Interesting. Yeah. But it just seemed weird there were so many stops. I mean, I'm sure that... I would think that there must be some flights that have, you know, more than one stop nowadays. Right. Maybe I've just never been on a flight with more than one layover, but... Also, if you were on weird. that plane and you got on in Washington, D.C., mm. and you are already been on the plane for what? I don't know. Yeah. Like, like, however many hours it takes to fly across the United States back then. Right. And you're at, like, the last leg. You're like, I'm almost... I got 30 more minutes and I'm <laughs> 30 there. more minutes. And then this bullshit happened. This You'd bullshit be happened. so pissed. And you didn't even know what was happening until after. Right. Which, I mean, it would have been scary to know in the moment, but... Right. Still. So, it was about a third full when it left Portland. On schedule. Um, shortly after takeoff, Dan Cooper... Yep. Supposedly. Handed a note to Florence Schaffner, the flight attendant nearest to him in a jump seat. And she just assumed that it was, like, a phone number from a lonely businessman. She didn't even look at it. She just dropped it in her purse. And he was like, you probably want to miss... You better look at that note. I have a bomb. Which is like... It's not fuck. so subtle. You're already so annoyed. You're like, yeah, you're, she's on her last leg, too. She's probably been right. on this flight the whole time, too. And she's just like, son of a bitch. Like, she's already like, fucking dude, give me his number. Right. Here we fucking and then, go. And then it's worse. It's like, no, I have a bomb. Cool. So my sad thing, too, is that this note does not exist anymore i like totally wanted to look it up and see it yep but he was, he was smart he asked for the note back yeah he got the note back but she said it was printed in neat all capital letters with a felt tip pen the exact wording unknown but she recalled the note said that he had a bomb in his briefcase hmm. shitty he told her to sit next to him she did she asked to see the bomb this part also gets me because he opened his briefcase she saw eight red cylinders she said four on top of four attached to wires coated with red insulation and a large cylindrical battery so there was like this video on YouTube that I watched for some fucking reason that was like this woman recounting the fact that her husband, who was some type of mechanic, like not a car mechanic, but he worked on some type of machinery, right. had gotten a package in the mail and she had no idea what it was and didn't know he was expecting it. And she opened it and it looked something like that. Interesting. It looked like what she thought like a bomb might look like. Right. And she freaked out and she had like, they had like two kids and they had a dog and she like lost her mind and was like, oh my God. And, like, got the kids over to her neighbor's house. She was, like, losing her shit. She realized she left the dog over there. She had to, like, go get him. She was, like, convinced the house was going to blow up. And then she ends up, like, calling the husband, like, in hysterics or whatever. And he was like, yeah, that's just some stupid thing that he got. But I was, like, thinking, I'm like, somebody could show me anything. Oh, yeah. If they said it was a bomb and it looked like what I've seen in movies, I would right. be like, oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, you don't know. So I'm like, does anybody <clears throat> actually know? He may not have actually had even a real bomb. No, right. And that's, I think that's kind of the thing is that, like, he was, it was, it was like the, like nowadays it would be a way bigger thing. But I think back then they were just sort of like, oh, like he's got a bomb. Like we'll just take his word for it. Like yeah. what's the worst that can happen? He's not going to want to blow up this plane with himself on it. So as long as we just play by his rules, right. like nothing bad's going to happen. But it just didn't seem like, like there wasn't a whole lot of scrutiny about the bomb. There wasn't like, no, like, yeah, like it literally could have just been eight like cardboard tubes that he threw it, like he yeah. threw together. 
I feel like, yeah, anything. And especially yeah, if we're on a plane, I'm all, I mean, she probably wasn't freaked out, but I would be freaked out. Like, <clears throat> but you're already in like a high stress situation. Oh, yeah. Somebody says I've got a bomb and like you peek in their briefcase. I would just, okay, yeah, sure. It's got to be, right? But as far as I could tell, nobody besides her saw it. Interesting. So, I mean, yeah, it makes sense that they would just take his word for it. They're not going to be like, let me see that. Yeah. But prove it. It's just, yeah, it's like weird that he just, whatever. So he wanted $200,000. Yep. Which is the equivalent of $1.2 million nowadays. Which is insane. Really, when you think about it. Right. Doesn't seem like that long ago. No. Kind of was. 40 years, but yeah. yeah. But in negotiable American currency. Which is a weird way to phrase that. Super weird. No just regular old American dude would phrase it. that. would be like, I want no. They would just say, I want $200,000. Yeah. Period. It was an odd, weird, like odd clue to give. Yeah. That still doesn't fully connect to anything definite, but yeah, it does make you think he's not your average just dude. Right. I mean, clearly he's hijacking a plane, so. That'll, that'll factor into some of our theories and mm. conjectures about what, who he might've been and where he originated from. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted four parachutes. Two primary and two reserve. And he wanted a fuel truck in Seattle to refuel when they got there. Right. Um, they told the pilots, whatever. <laughs> the thing, I love this too. When she returned, Cooper was wearing his sunglasses. Yeah. He was like, yo. I wear my sunglasses at On the plane. Yeah. On which, I'm not sure timing wise. I know when they landed, it was like an hour past sunset. So I'm not sure if it was like dark on the plane at this point. But Still, just the fact that she came back and he was just like, yo. Right, just like all like slick with his sunglasses yeah. on. Yeah, like I bet you wish you got that number now. Right. No. Which like, why didn't he put the sunglasses on before? Right. If he was trying to like, I get the impression that he was probably trying to like hide his identity. Yeah. Maybe he just figured that there would be like more scrutiny or they'd try to like photograph him. Yeah. When he landed or something. Right. That's well, kind yeah. of my thought that they, I mean, you wouldn't, the thing that gets me too is if they were asking me later, I mean, maybe because the plane wasn't very full, but if you asked me later... Like, remember that guy two rows ahead of you or whatever? Like, what did he look like? I would have no idea. No, it's just like some, like, generic white businessman. Yeah, just, just some like dude. wearing a business suit. And there's no way I'd remember that he coat. had, like, I mean, maybe the, the flight attendant, sure, but, like, she remembered his tie pin. Like, they could tell, like, how could you even tell he's wearing a clip-on tie? Can you really, like, identify that that easily? I don't I even wonder. know. Maybe. I so, mean, it was the 70s. You had, you weren't, like, distracted by your smartphone. So you're sort of, like. <laughs> just staring at everybody. Observing your surroundings more. Yeah. It always gets me. Like, I just feel like I don't pay that much attention to people. Right. Like, again, back to the Men in Black episode. Like, yeah. that's why I wouldn't know if somebody was right. following me. Because I'm exactly. just not looking. So I feel like people, they'd ask me, like, oh, like, remember that dude sitting next to you on the plane? I'd be like, no. Like, what? There was a guy sitting next yeah, to me? I no. didn't pay t- I just, like, was glad he didn't talk to me. <laughs> exactly. There was one dude. Okay. It's a brief, <laughs> brief moment. I was on a plane the one time next to Nate, my husband. But on the other side of me was this dude. And he kept, like putting his head down and I would think that he was sleeping. And of course me being creepy, I was trying to look out the window and he was in the window seat. So I'd be trying to like look. And I kept noticing that he had his head down like and his eyes mostly closed, but they like weren't all the way closed. And I was like, what the fuck is he doing? It was very Weird. disconcerting. Yeah, I was like- what? Maybe he's like meditating or something? I don't or know. Maybe he's one of those people whose like eyes don't close all the way when they sleep. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was almost like when I looked out the window, he like understandably would think I was looking at him and I could kind of see his eyes like shift towards me. And I was like, oh, you're not even asleep. Like, yeah. oh, weird. Ugh. Anyways, being on planes sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So the pilot contacts air traffic control, which in turn contacts the authorities. Um, the other passengers, of course, were just told there's a mechanical error. We're going to be a little delayed. Right. Um, the Northwest Orient's president authorized the payment of the ransom. Of course, like who would be like, nah, um, all employees to cooperate fully. 
whatever. They circled Puget Sound for two hours to get the FBI and everybody enough time to get the parachutes and the ransom money. Which, again, I wondered why they took so long to do that, but turns out they, like, photographed every bill of the ransom money. Right. So that they could track it later on to find this dude. Which will become significant later. It will. Um, the flight attendant noticed that Cooper appeared familiar with the local terrain. Yep. He, like, looked out the window at one point and was like, oh, it looks like Tacoma down there. Yep. Which is a weird thing, too, that you would know that. Um, he also correctly mentioned that McCord Air Force Base was only a 20-minute drive at that time from the airport. Right, which is, like, a weird <clears throat> piece of knowledge. Like, I don't, I wouldn't know that. We were talking, yeah. like, I don't even, there's, I'm sure there's Air Force bases or just Army bases in general in right. Maine, and I have no idea where any of them are. I don't know where any of them are. Like, the fact that he knew how far of a drive it is right. indicated to me that he had probably been there. Right. Or had some sort of, like, working knowledge of it where he would have to know, like, the, the, the distance between that Air Force Base and yeah. SeaTac Airport. It's just weird. And, like, why would he mention that? Right. Just, yeah. Of all things, like, why would you say that? Right. I don't even know. Um, but the flight attendant described him as calm, polite, and well-spoken. Yeah. The stereotype at the time was, you know, the enraged, hardened criminal. Right. Or Wikipedia described it as, quote, take me to America political dissidents um, that were associated with air piracy at the time, which I think is funny because I don't really think of a stereotype nowadays right. of, like, air pirates. Right. Which is funny anyways. Um, another flight attendant agreed he wasn't nervous. He seemed rather nice. He was never cruel or nasty. He was thoughtful and calm all the time. So he ordered a second bourbon and water. He paid his drink tab, which, See? like, in oh. the middle of a hijack. Right. And he attempted to give the flight attendant the change and offered to request meals for the flight crew during their stop in Seattle as, right. like, part of his demands. So he was clearly, like... He was a nice guy. Not a dick. Like, no. he wasn't, like... He seems just like a well-spoken dude who, like, had, a, like, a really solid plan in place yeah. and wasn't... Didn't need to be nasty because he had the bomb to control everybody. Mm. So all he had to do, like... You know, like, he, he had no beef with, like, the, the flight attendants or anything. He was just trying to, you know, do his thing. Yeah. So, like... One of the one of the, one of the investigators described him as like this like nasty cruel individual and it's like no like no just because he like stole money doesn't mean he's like a terrible person right he stole money from this like giant airline yeah I guess I'm never really of the opinion that like I don't know I feel like some people treat all crimes on the same level essentially right. like he broke the law right so it can't be he didn't hurt anybody no he didn't kill anybody almost a victimless crime yeah like that I'm sure that that airline was fine financially after that oh yeah they were fine and. <clears throat> Nobody was injured. Nobody was hurt. Like, again, people were probably a little shaken up because that would probably be terrifying. Right. Not knowing if he was going to blow up the plane or what he was going to do. Right. But ultimately, nobody was hurt. Right. They've all got a cool story to tell. Exactly. And he's gone. So, <laughs> yeah. So they got the uh, ransom money from several Seattle area banks. 10,000 unmarked $20 bills. Pretty crazy. Right. The Wikipedia even, like, said... Most of them had the 1963A or 1969 series. Like, okay. Right. Cool. Um, and yeah, they had a microfilm photograph of each of them. Um, he did not want the military issue parachutes from the Air Force Base. He wanted civilian parachutes with manually operated ripcords. So they got them from a local skydiving school. We were talking about this too. It was interesting that he didn't want the military ones. Right. That so our impression is that the military ones you don't pull the ripcord. It just, like, kind of, like, you jump out of the plane and it just automatically deploys. Like, mm. you don't have control over when you pull the ripcord. Yeah. So I think you'd have less control over where you landed right. with a military one, whereas the civilian one, you could sort of, like, free fall for as long as you wanted to and then pull the cord at a certain time. And yeah. give yourself more control, I guess. Which, 
I don't know, it seems, again, it'll come up later that he didn't seem to be that experienced with parachuting, but you would think maybe if he knew more about it, like, I don't know how much you can control your trajectory right. when you're parachuting, if maybe he wanted that, yeah, ability to free fall. And we also talked about, like, it being really hard for them to determine where he'd landed because of not knowing when he pulled the ripcord. Right. Because that free fall time makes a difference, a big difference, apparently. Right. So maybe he wanted it for that reason. So they wouldn't be able to so easily be like, okay, he's within this radius. Right. We can find it, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? Maybe he was just, wasn't familiar with the military ones, even though some people thought that he might've been military. Right. I don't know. Hmm. So yeah, 524 PM. He's informed his demands have been met. They land at the airport. He wanted them to go to an isolated, brightly, brightly, wow, I suck today, lit section of the runway and close each window shade in the cabin to deter police snipers. Right. Smart. Um, yeah, they got him his stuff. They got all the passengers, the flight attendant that he had given the note to off the plane, and the senior flight attendant to leave the plane. So he just had, I think, the pilot, the co-pilot, there was like a flight engineer, and then that other... Flight attendant. Interesting. And that was it. And then him. So only five of them. Right. On the plane. So he like outlined his plan with the cockpit crew, which I just think is like funny to imagine that right. they're all just like, what's next? <laughs> what are we doing? What do you want to do? Where are we going? Where are we going, guy? So he wanted to go toward Mexico City at a the minimum airspeed possible without stalling the aircraft, which was about 115 miles per hour, which seems crazy. It doesn't seem like that fast. No, no, no. For a plane. Maybe I don't really know that much about planes, but that just seems right. not fast. Um, at a maximum 10,000 foot altitude. He wanted the landing gear to remain deployed and in the takeoff slash landing position, the wing flaps be lowered 15 degrees and the cabin to remain unpressurized. So he knows a lot about planes. Yes. He was very familiar with this plane that he was in. Yeah. He knew about Boeing's. Yeah. Which will come up later. Yes, it will. So interesting. Yeah. Just, I mean, the, the <laughs> wing flaps being lowered, like. Right. Like to 15 degrees. Like I wouldn't know that. Yeah. I wouldn't know that. Um. So the co-pilot informed him that the aircraft's range was limited to about a thousand miles under that flight configuration, so they'd have to refuel. Um, they discussed options and they agreed on Reno, Nevada as the fueling stop, which again, it's just like funny to me that yeah. he was just like, like eh, how do you feel okay. about Reno? He's like, eh, okay. Sure. Yeah. That's fine. Um, they were going to leave with the rear exit door open and the staircase extended, but the like Northwest home office objected saying it was unsafe. Right. Apparently Cooper was like, it's totally safe, but he like was like, fine. And then he just put it down once they were airborne. He's like, I don't give a shit. Right. But he like didn't didn't seem like he didn't want to cause like a altercation. Right. Which still seems funny because it's like you got a bomb, right. you're totally in control. But he was just like, okay, yeah, yeah. I think it's because he knew that he had a solid plan and that he yeah. like all this stuff was just like super trivial. Yeah. And he just wanted to like get off the ground as fast as possible because him being on the ground was the most dangerous part of oh, yeah. this for him. Yes, because they couldn't really do anything. I mean, when he's only in the air with four other people, right. two of which are flying the plane, they can't really do anything to him. No. They don't have weapons. They don't have any way to, like, take him down. Right. And, like, he has so, a bomb, so they, they're not going to because he could set off that bomb at any time. Yeah. So he was safe in the air. So I think, yeah, he just wanted to get off that, like, runway. Right. Just be like, let's just fucking go, dudes. Right. Um, yeah, the FAA tried to get a face-to-face -face meeting with him. He denied them. Um, the refueling process was delayed. This is still in Seattle. Uh, vapor lock in the fuel tanker truck's pumping mechanism, which he became suspicious of, but he allowed a replacement tanker truck, which that one, I guess, also, like, ran dry. They had to get a third truck in. Jesus. I'd be suspicious if I was him. Oh, yeah. I think, like, I'd be like, what the fuck are you guys up to? Right. What are you delaying this for? Right. You're clearly, like, doing something to get somebody else here. Mm -hmm. But they didn't. They let them leave. 
7.40 p.m., they took off. Headed for Reno, Nevada, or mm. headed for Mexico City by way of Reno, Nevada. Yes. Um, there were two F-106, F-106, I don't know, fighter aircraft um, from the Air Force Base that followed behind them, one above it and one below, out of his view to kind of, like, see what was up. Right. Um, which I guess they never ended up seeing anything. Yeah, which is strange. Which is Maybe weird. they were just so far away that they weren't tracking, Yeah. like, specific small occurrences they were just literally tracking the plane to see where it was and where it was going yeah to make sure they like stayed whatever but they have no idea so he tells the crew to go in the cockpit and just chill um the flight attendants saw him tying something around his waist when they kind of went into the cockpit at 8 p.m a warning light flashed indicating that the aft air stair apparatus have a hard time with that one i had a hard time like typing that out (laughs) multiple times, had been activated. Um, the crew's offer of assistance, they, like, went over the intercom and were like, you need any help? And he was like, no. <laughs> Fuck off, guys. <laughs> yeah, like, it said that it was curtly refused. So <laughs> he's like, no! I'm just picturing him, like, yelling back. Yeah. Like, not even over the intercom, but he's just like, Fuck off! I'm done! So they, soon after, noticed a subjective change of air pressure, so indicating the door was opened. Mm-hmm. And then at, like, 8.13 p.m., the aircraft's tail section sustained a sudden upward movement, significant enough that they had to, like adjust the plane to get it back level (laughs) so they kind of assumed that that was when he jumped but i thought it was odd it didn't say like it seemed like they just stayed in the cockpit even when they like felt that they were just like nope because they weren't sure he could have you know who knows what he's doing back there right like he could blow us up if we go back because i think he said specifically don't come back here or i'll blow you up oh did he blow up the plane yeah oh shit yeah so they're like "Hmm, like, no we can't like it's like that classic like yeah keep your head down if you just if i see you put your head up then you're dead or whatever yeah so. Yeah, they landed at 10.15. So two whole hours later, they're just in that cockpit, just like, right. fuck. Landed in Reno. Um, they all surrounded the jet. They didn't know for sure that he wasn't there, but they checked and he was gone. Right. So they assumed that that <clears throat> 8.15-ish, the change in pressure followed by that that upward movement was him. Jumping from jumping the, out of the plane. stairs. Yep. So, Yeah. That's, and that's pretty much the end of it. He was gone. He's gone. Never been seen or heard from again. There have been a few little, like, breadcrumbs here and there of, like, like evidence that's been found after the fact, but nothing that really advances the investigation all that much. No. Just, if anything, it just causes more confusion. Yeah. Um, like, for example, in 1978, so about seven years later... Mm. Um, they found a in the woods in Castle Rock, Washington, which is an interesting, interesting little tidbit. Yeah. Um, Castle Rock. There was a placard that had instructions for lowering the aft stairs on that particular plane was mm. found, and it was in the general trajectory of where the plane was flying over. Yeah. So that it would be a weird coincidence if seven years later there's a placard to lower the aft stairs on the exact plane that he hijacked right. in the basic flight path was found like that yeah. that seems like a lot of like that wasn't his plane right so it kind of had to have been from him i would imagine it'd be cool to be the person who found that right That'd i would have wild. loved to find that i don't even know if i'd give it up no just be like this is just mine now right this is mine this doesn't help the investigation really um and then the other significant thing that was found was in the 19 in in 1980 mm. um a little boy who was camping with his parents was digging on the banks of the columbia river the and what's that i said the tinoir what? Tinoir? <laughs> Tinabar. Oh, Tinabar. Yeah. is a part of the Columbia River he was in, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, 
So he found two packets of $120 bills mm-hmm. and then one packet with 90 $20 bills. Damn. And they were, the serial numbers matched the serial numbers from the ransom. Yeah. And there's debate as to whether or not they were buried intentionally or if they just washed up on that spot and were mm-hmm. buried by the sediment from the river. Yeah. There was one expert who said that, like, the rounded <clears throat> edges of the bills indicated that it had just, like, essentially fallen into the river and mm. washed up on the shore. Other people have said that, like, no, it was probably buried intentionally and could have been dislodged. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. And other than that, there's really been no definitive evidence really, like, found since then. No. There's been a few things that were left behind. Like, he left behind in the plane his his Mother of Pearl tie clip. Yep. he They found his clip-on tie, tie clip, and two of the four parachutes. Left in the cockpit after yeah. he jumped or whatever happened. Yep. Along with 66 unidentified latent fingerprints. Interesting. Yeah. Right, because he had a whole plane full of people. Right. And one of those parachutes, so he left behind two of the four, and one of them had been opened, and, like, some of the suspension lines had been cut. Right. Which they theorize that he used to close the bag of money and, like, secure it to his body. Right. But... So let's talk about the parachutes. Yeah. So, the parachutes, there's some interesting info about that as far as... Looking through my notes. Definitely can't hear me doing this. It's definitely (laughs) not happening. they gave him four parachutes. Yes. No, they gave him three parachutes. Four parachutes. Four parachutes. Yeah. Um... And he chose the oldest parachute. Yeah. Um, and the parachute that also had a dummy reserve chute. Mm-hmm. So he chose basically the oldest one that was also like a classroom instruction one that wouldn't function correctly if he jumped. Right. So it was clearly marked to anybody who was an experienced skydiver that this was a dummy reserve chute. Yeah. And there's no reason why he should have picked that particular parachute unless he literally knew nothing about parachutes. Right. Um. And it, but it's also strange, as we were saying, that he chose not to have the the military one. Right. He chose the civilian ones. Yeah. Which, again, is that a lack of experience with the military ones and he wanted something he had used before? Right. This would indicate that he wasn't that experienced with civilian ones. But I guess, right. I don't know, if I had used any parachute before, I'd probably want the same one that I had already used. Right. Or the same general type. But I don't know. Yeah, they thought that was odd that he... And they the FBI stressed that the inclusion of the dummy parachute was not on purpose. Right, right. Well, because, yeah, that, so he was really smart because he asked for four parachutes, implying that he might jump with some of the hostages. Yeah. So that they wouldn't just give him a dummy parachute. They would give him fully functioning ones because they don't want, like, civilians to die. Exactly. So he thought he thought all this out, like, very well. Yeah. Um. So it's just an interesting dichotomy that he's really knowledgeable about planes, but not knowledgeable about... Um, parachutes or right. like jumping out of planes in general. Which is interesting. Right. It's an that interesting combination. I don't know that you're, I mean, and I guess really like jumping out of the plane was probably the smartest move right. if he's trying to escape because like guaranteed if they had landed anywhere oh, yeah. and he had taken off, like they would have had so much of a smaller radius to know where he went. They probably would have found him. Oh yeah. There was no way for him to just be like, drop me off. Right. Like he kind of had to. Um, but yeah, the, the FBI said that, like, they initially thought he was an experienced jumper, even, like, a paratrooper. Right. Um, but after that, like, they said, no experienced parachutist would have jumped in the pitch black night in the rain with a 200-mile-an-hour wind in his face, wearing loafers and a trench coat. It was just, like, too risky. He didn't and, know that the reserve parachute was only for training. Um, 
And he didn't, like, want a helmet. Right. He took the older and technically inferior of the two parachutes yep. to jump with and jumped into, like, negative 70-degree wind chill without any protection against the cold. Right. Like, he literally was jumping in a suit in a trench coat. Right. So. I guess we don't know that he wasn't wearing, like, long johns or something. No, that's true. He could have been wearing stuff underneath, yeah, which like, I would think, I mean, I guess would help in negative 70, but wouldn't be super fun. Right. It would definitely wouldn't be fun. But, but there's really no way for him to, like, ultimately, practically, there's no way for him to be dressed how he, like, should be dressed right. without tipping off. Like, how are you going to get on a plane right. dressed like you're about to jump out of a plane? And so they, 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 like, theorized that he wore, like, one of the possible reasons that he was wearing such a smart suit was because... He knew after he jumped out of the plane, he'd have to find a way back, you know, probably hitchhike or find a way to, like, get a ride back Mm. to wherever he's going. Yeah. And so, you know, some guy wearing, you know, dirty blue jeans coming out of the woods isn't going to get picked up as easily as, like, a guy wearing a suit. Yeah. So So he wanted to look nice and sharp. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's, of course, like, theories that he just died. Yep. Diving into the wilderness without a plan, without the right equipment, those shitty conditions. Um... And they even, like, the places, a lot of the places they were looking for him were, like, very mountainous. Mm-hmm. So just the idea that he would have landed somewhere and maybe not really known where he was. I mean, you're kind of, even if you know the area, you'd have to know the area pretty well, I yeah. think, to know exactly where you were when you landed from jumping out of a plane. Right. In the pitch black. In the pitch black. Yeah. It's not even daytime where you can, like, as you're, you know, free falling or as you're floating down, like, look around and be like, okay, there's, you know, mountain whatever. And that's if he didn't get stuck in a tree. Right. Like, you're... Like in like into like a forest essentially, yeah. so you're falling into like dense tree cover. Yeah, in so the dark. You're going. Your parachute's almost definitely going to get caught in the trees. Yeah, if the parachute even deployed at all. Right. We don't even know. Um, yeah. There's no said no evidence that he requested or received any such help from the crew as far as like timing the jump just right. Right. To land in a certain area that he knew. Like again, if he knew the area pretty well, because he jumped. I mean they. We're still two hours from Reno. Right. So it's not like he jumped when they were, like, right around Reno. He jumped, like, lo- like way still up in, like, Washington. Right. Um, which I thought was interesting, too, that he even, like, specifically requested going towards Mexico City, was cool with them stopping for fuel, which maybe is why he didn't really care that much that they had to stop. Right. Because he knew that he was going to jump long before then. Oh, yeah. And it, it sort of lends credence to the fact that he probably knew the northwest of the United mm. States better than anywhere else. And yeah. The reason he would jump there because he was more confident in his ability to survive the jump and, like, know where he fell and be able to find his way back. Yeah. Yeah, because if they took off at 740 and then he, they're thinking that he jumped at, like, 815, he mm. really didn't no. wait long. Not at all. So. And I've always thought, too, that, like, they don't know that he jumped at that time. There was no. that disturbance where the the... Uh, tail lifted up mm. as if something fell out of it but who's to say that wasn't the money right the money like that's like that's just the sheer volume of money that they gave him was heavy yeah so he could have tied the parachute to the money or just thrown the money out that's and true. then he could have parachuted at any time that's true so he could have jumped out because I, th- I feel like the money falling out of the plane would have been more of a lurch in the plane than him jumping out of it I don't know um, there was something they did like an uh, experiment at one point um, let's see. Where is that? Damn these notes. They did an experiment, um, where they kind of wanted to see, essentially they wanted to see if he had jumped at that time. They like went back through the flight with the same, uh, general flight path or whatever. 
and they wanted to see if he did jump around 8.15, where might he have landed? So that they could at least just get some idea of a general radius to, like, go by. Um, if I can't even find it. But they had done something where they had, like, pushed, um, they described it as, like, a sled, which I don't really know what it was. Right. But they pushed, like, a 200-pound-ish sled off and found that it, like, produced the same lurch as what they felt when they thought that he jumped. Interesting. Which, yeah, I don't know exactly how much $10,000, $20 bills is weigh, but I would imagine it's not as heavy as a person. I don't know. I guess is my guess. That it wouldn't necessarily be 200 pounds. Right. So maybe it was. I don't know. I just I just think that, like, it's... Nobody saw him jump then, so the fact that right. that happened, it could be... I don't know. He, I, I, we don't know that he jumped at that moment. No, so there's the, no. So we, we could be looking reference. in the totally wrong place for him. I mean, those bills were found there, so maybe he yeah. did just throw the money out and it landed in the Columbia River or a tributary of the Columbia River. Yeah. And then he jumped at some other point. He didn't even care about the money. He just wanted to see if he could do it. Yeah, he's a thrill seeker. Right, thrill seeker. Which is and kind of an awesome thing. So let's let's talk about the the aft stairs as well. The fact that yes. he knew exactly that this Boeing was the only type of plane in service at that yep. time for commercial airlines where the aft stairs could be lowered during flight and was able to continue operating basically with the aft stairs open was not commonly known. Right. They said that like people who worked at Boeing would know mm. and then a handful of CIA operatives who like used that function in like operations overseas would know that ability. Yeah. But it definitely wasn't common knowledge at that point. Right. So the fact that he knew all these intimate details of this plane from the exact like like measurements or whatever to put your put the plane at and like yeah. all this stuff and that he could operate the aft stairs like he was able to open it with a button in the back of the plane. Yeah. He didn't need any interference from the cockpit and the cockpit couldn't prevent it from happening. Right. So he knew enough about this to know that his plan was totally foolproof. Yeah. So that maybe implies that he worked in the airline industry or, right. I don't know, maybe for the CIA and had done operations like this. He definitely knew his shit. Like, right. I think that's part of the reason why I'd imagine that he seemed so calm. Right. Was that this wasn't something that he had done some research and heard right. some stuff and was just like, oh, shit, like, I hope I can pull this off. Right. Like, he, according to all accounts, was super calm right. and polite and just knew what he was doing. He right. was confident that it was going to work. Right. Because, yeah, I think he had that, like, working experience of this particular plane in this particular, like, type of situation where he wasn't nervous about, like, oh, shit. Right. Even, like, nervous about, I mean, again, who knows what happened, but didn't seem like he was necessarily even nervous about, like, am I going to live through this? Right. Like, he was just like, I'm good, I got this. Yeah. Like, you'd think, like, if he was, like, at all nervous that he was about to die jumping yeah. out of a plane, that he'd be a little bit more, like, anxious. Right. But he was super calm. But he seemed chill. Yeah, there. It's amazing to me too that like, there were tons of people being questioned. Like, they initially began questioning suspects and considered more than eight hundred as like semi-serious. Right. And all of the of eight hundred people, all but two dozen were eliminated like immediately. They were just like, no. Um, I liked that they there was an Oregon man named DB Cooper. Right. So this is going back to why. He's even called D.B. Cooper. Right. Oregon man named D.B. Cooper, who had a minor police record. He was obviously a person of interest. They're like, maybe he used his real name. Right. On the off chance. Um, but he was quickly ruled out, and a local reporter, who was rushing to meet a deadline, got confused and reported 
that name. Right. And so that became like the pseudonym of the hijacker when really, and Dan Cooper, like we're not too far off, but it kind of got like widely reported and it was like, whoops. And it was like too late at that point. Right. So knew him as D.B. Cooper. The name Dan Cooper is probably taken from a comic book series Mm. that was released in Belgium. Yep. um, Where the main protagonist is a Canadian Air Force pilot Mm -hmm. named Dan Cooper. Dan Cooper. Who did all sorts of exploits. And there's one specific, like, edition of it. What's the the word I'm looking for? One specific issue of the comic where he jumps out of a plane and, like, on the cover of it is, like, Dan Cooper in, like, full parachute gear, like, flying through the air. Yeah. So people think that he probably took the pseudonym from this comic book series. Yeah. But the interesting note is that it was never translated into English and sold in America. Right. It was only ever released in Europe, and the closest to North America it ever came was it was released in Canada. Yep. In its native language. So that would lend credence to the fact that either the hijacker spent time in Europe probably as a child reading yep. these comic books. Or as a tour of duty. Or as a tour of duty. Um, and, or he was from Canada and yep. had grown up reading the comics. Which again, his negotiable American currency phrase. Exactly. Lends some credence to the idea that he like wasn't an American. Right. Originally. And he didn't really have a noticeable accent. So most likely not like originally from Belgium or something like that. And if he was from Canada... Jumping so soon after taking off from Seattle might have just been so he would stay as close to Canada as possible so he could just slip back over the border. Yeah. Just slipping over the border. So the other weird thing is that none of this ransom money has ever turned up. Never. Ever. Except for that stuff that was found in the Columbia River. Yeah. That's the only ransom money that's ever been found. Which even that was like in the same order as what they had given him. So that right. seemed pretty likely that it was never like messed with by him. Right. That it was there from like when he landed or... He ditched it right after or whatever. Or like buried it, just hide it. Yeah. Yeah, it's theorized that he hide it. Hided it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Woo! Theorized that he hid it. Theorized that he dumped it because he was aware that he couldn't use it. Um, it was interesting that they were talking about the uh, the Lindbergh case. Yeah. Right. Was pretty recent at that time. And that, I think, did it say, I don't, I'm not super familiar with that case, but that, like, somebody ended up getting caught because of using one of the bills that had been part of the ransom or whatever. Yep, and so, it was the ransom note as well, which yeah. is why he asked for the note back that he handed that said he had Smart. a bomb. Yeah. Because they used, like, handwriting analysis or something in order to figure out who it was. Yeah, because it said that he was, like, intelligent enough to ask for, like, the unmarked bills or whatever, but must have been knowledgeable enough to know, like, I still can't spend this. Right. Which is the funny thing that, like, I think, you know, anybody getting ransom money, like, you have to kind of know that. Right. Like, they're not just giving you any random money. They're giving you very highly traced money and they're like watching for it everywhere because even if he had done something like he started to like launder it or he Mm. exchanged it or i don't know at some point one of those bills would have turned up in circulation somewhere somewhere. it would have come back through a federal reserve bank yeah and they would have like it would have like you know caused like a an alarm or something it would have tipped something off it's not like he probably has never used that money no I can't imagine a circumstance that he did and it hasn't turned up. Exactly. It's just not even possible. Like, they even have, I think, at the least at the time for a while, if not, like, even to present day, they had, like, public access to those serial numbers for those bills. So, like, you can even go on there yourself and, like, look up those serial numbers. So, I wonder, unless, I don't know, if it was spent maybe in another country, it didn't make its way to the Federal Reserve and just, like, 
I don't know. Never, yeah. Never made it into circulation. I guess that's, that's like possible, but I don't, my I don't only feel thought. like it's probable. Yeah. Because even then, like, say in the 1970s, he spent some bill in, like, you know, Central Africa. And it, at that point, it, like, the D.B. Cooper thing hadn't made it there. Yeah. That bill would probably find its way back into a Federal Reserve Bank at some point in the last 40 years. Mm. So, like, no yeah. matter where he spent it, I feel like it would end up alerting somebody somewhere yeah and that's part of it that it's been so long you know it's not like this happened even 10 years ago right and it's like well there's still plenty of time he could just be biding his time to spend it or whatever um which is why again there was like a theory that you know he just was like desperate for money which is why he did it and like i don't buy that at all because again of all the ways to get money in sketchy ways hijacking a plane and getting a ransom is probably the worst because again you cannot spend that money like Even if you find some way to kind of hide that money and not spend it directly, right. it's going to pop up somewhere. It's going to set off some alarms. And at the very least, they're going to like slowly trace their way to you. And he was way too calm about it, too. Yeah. I feel like if he was in a dire financial situation, he would have been more like agitated the whole time or like yeah. just more like on edge. He right. seemed way too like calm, cool, and collected to be like needing this money for, I don't know, some operation or right. I can't even imagine. He's got like a brain tumor. Right. And he's just like, fuck, I need this money. Like, I think he just did it to see if he could do it. For funsies. Yeah. He was just like, this is going to be sweet. Right. Like you were saying with the, you were reading about the timing yeah. being relevant. Oh yeah. So this occurred November 24th, the day before Thanksgiving. So this was during, at the beginning of like a four day weekend mm. for from like a, a nine to five office job. So it's possible that he timed it at this time because he had four days off from work (laughs) and could then, like, hike his way out of the mountains of Washington and, like, make it back to work on Monday. Yeah, right, because the FBI said they checked around and there was nobody reported missing. Right, nobody disappeared that weekend. Would make sense. Because there's no work to say, like, hey, this guy's gone. We obviously have no idea if this guy was married or had a family or whatever, so there's not necessarily anybody to be like, oh, yeah. Right. He just went, he could have just told his family, like, I'm going on a work trip. I'll yeah. be back on Monday. Yeah. And then he showed up on Monday and was just like, hey. Yeah. So let's let's, let's talk about his, his potential um, place of employment. Yes. Because this, this is an interesting... So this is where we stop sort of conjecturing and we actually get into like some hard scientific fact. Yeah. So like obviously in the 70s, they didn't have the same kind of like analytical ability to like take something and like analyze trace right. stuff on it. Um, so fairly recently, it was a group of, like, amateur... Citizen sleuths. Citizen sleuths. In 2009. Yeah. They got his tie and his yep. tie clip, and they did some analysis of what trace was left on it, mm. and they found bits of unalloyed aluminum, mm-hmm. bismuth, aluminum, and cerium. Yep, and titanium. And titanium. Oh, unalloyed titanium, rather. Yes. Particles of pure unalloyed titanium. Which was rare in the 70s. It wasn't yep. as u- quite as ubiquitous as it is nowadays. Nope. So they said that it would make sense that he worked in some sort of chemical manufacturing plant mm-hmm. or basically someplace where you'd come in contact with rare earth metals yeah. relatively frequently and would be wearing a tie. Yeah. Because it was on the tie specifically. That he was possibly an engineer or a manager. Right. So it makes sense that he had some nine to five office job where he had a, a, a working knowledge of like chemicals and planes. And yeah, um, there's a theory that he actually worked at Boeing. Yep. Because there was this one specific like kind of I think it was classified um, like supersonic plane that was being worked on. Sure. 
and a lot of these rare earth metals were being used on that project at Boeing. And so it would make yeah. sense that he had a, a, a really good working knowledge of the actual mechanics of the plane. Exactly. But not a working knowledge of jumping out of said plane. Right. Not so much the parachutes. Right. But he was like, yo, I know this plane. Yeah, they said uh, rare earth minerals such as cerium and strontium sulfide. Right. And that, yeah, one of like the rare applications for that was Boeing's, yeah, supersonic transport development project. Interesting. Which is crazy. So he probably worked at Boeing. Yeah. Maybe. And then had a four-day weekend and was like, yo, I'm going to hijack this plane because I can jump out of it. I'm going to hijack this. And just did it. For What else do you do during a four-day weekend? Right. I mean, even the, um, yeah, according to the FBI's retired chief investigator, Ralph Himmelsbach. Yep. Sure. Um... He said, extortionists and other criminals who steal large amounts of money nearly always do so because they need it urgently. Otherwise, the crime is not worth a considerable risk. Alternatively, he may just have been a thrill seeker who made the jump, quote, just to prove it could be done. Which I think that makes the most amount of sense. It does sound like it to me. Like, given his whole demeanor, just the way that this whole play, this whole thing played out makes me think that it was for a lark. Yeah. Or just to see, like, you know, you're sitting in your, your, your nine-to-five job every day. You're just kind of like bored as hell and you're like, you know what you could do? You could jump out of a damn plane and steal money this you way. You could hijack a plane. Why not? And just hide, yeah, get the money for fun. Right. Yeah, it's amazing to me though, like even if he had done it for fun and if he jumped, I mean, again, I think the parachute and them, essentially like even if they could go up and do that experiment and see like, okay, a 200 pound weight push off the plane, this is kind of the radius we get. You can never recreate those exact nope. circumstances that night. Like, Again, it mentioned that there was like a rainstorm when he jumped or over wherever they exactly were at that moment. Mm-hmm. That can play a factor. Like so many different things, like the wind that was happening, like aside from just the speed of the plane and them having no idea how long he just fell before he pulled the ripcord. Right. There's really no way for them to pin down anything exact. And they they kind of extrapolated his landing zone. It was like this area on the southernmost outreach of Mount St. Helens a few miles southeast of Ariel, Washington. Oh, I like that name. Um, near Lake Merwin, which is like an artificial lake formed by a dam on the Lewis River. If anybody knows the area. Right. Go check it out. Go check it out. Go there. Look for him. Um, they searched the area. They encompassed like the terrain south and north of the river. Um, there were like people from nearby counties, like sheriff's deputies and stuff, searched large areas of the mountainous wilderness on foot. By helicopter, they had door-to-door searches of local farmhouses hmm. to see if he had, like, hidden out somewhere. They were, like, checking barns and shit. Right. Um, they had search parties running patrol boats along Lake Merwin and, like, another lake that was a reservoir nearby. Nothing was found. Like, not a single thing. Right. Um, Which, even if he, like, landed in a tree or something with his parachute, I feel like that parachute would be in the tree still. Right. He like, probably would have just cut himself down. They found nothing. They The FBI did an aerial search. They used fixed-winged aircraft and helicopters from the Oregon Army National Guard along the entire flight path, which is interesting. It's known as Victor 23, but in the, like, the D.B. Cooper literature, it's been known as Vector 23, which I just, I don't know. It was cute. So they looked from Seattle to Reno. Um, They found broken treetops. They found pieces of plastic and, like, things that they thought looked like parachute canopies, but nothing, once they investigated, nothing was relevant. Um... And then, like, yeah, they waited until the spring thaw in early 1972, because this was, like, November. I don't really, again, I don't really know the weather in, like, Washington that right. super well. But, I, I like, they know they have, like, a winter, but it's not, like, main winter. Right. But still, they waited for the spring thaw. 
FBI agents aided by some 200 Army soldiers from Fort Lewis, along with Air Force personnel, National Guardsmen, and civilian volunteers, did a thorough ground search for 18 days in March, and then they did another 18 days in April. So, like, a solid over a month's worth of daily ground search. Yeah. They used a submarine to search the 200-foot depths of Lake Merwin, that lake that they thought was right about there. Hmm. A skeleton was found, but it ended up being, like, a teenage girl who had been abducted and gone missing and obviously been murdered, like, just a few weeks before. Classic, like, serial killer town. Yeah, but I'm sure, like, in that moment, they were like, shit, Vancouver, we did it! But no. Um, The search operation, arguably the most extensive and intensive in U.S. history, found nothing. Nothing. Not a single thing. Nothing was really found until that placard in the later 70s and then that money, and that's it. Mm -hmm. That's freaking it. Yeah, they sent the serial numbers to all kinds of places. They had a reward. The reward seemed shitty, though. Maybe at the time it was more. It was only 15% of the recovered money to a maximum of $25,000. That's, like, not that much money. Oh, it's really not. To be like, dude, I found, I, like, broke this awesome case. Right. Here's 15% of the recovered money. Right. So it's not even 15% of 200 grand. Lame. That's shitty. Yeah, Northwest Orient cheaped out. Yep. Cheap the hell out. Maybe that's why nobody cared. Exactly. They were like, why don't you give me all the recovered money? Right. No. Um, yeah, they released the numbers to the public in early 1972. So they, like, wasted no time being like, hey, y'all solve this. Right. We can't do it. Exactly. Um, two dudes got counterfeit $20 bills with the serial numbers. They were trying to swindle Newsweek for, like, 30 grand for an interview with some dude they claimed was Stevie Cooper. Huh. But they were swindlers. Interesting. So, yeah, um, the entire 60-volume investiga- like notes from the investigation yeah. are going to be preserved for historical purposes at nice. the FBI headquarters in D.C. And on the FBI website, 28-part packet full of evidence opened to the public. Dang. So, for any of you listening... Go check it out. And for us, we should go check it out. Right. Um, but, yeah. They, um, yes, yeah, so we talked about the DNA from the tie. Yep. Nothing. Dude's just a mystery. Right. I think we should start getting into some of the the maybe people. Yes. Because So, disclosure, we're not going to be able to talk about every single person who has been like... No. Who has a decent chance of being D.B. Cooper because there's a ton of people out there who have been put forward as a potential D.B. Cooper. Yeah. And a lot of them, around. like, there's like, you know, like, two or three things will, like, really fit the D.B. Cooper, like, story. But then there's something that's like, oh, but... Like X, Y, and Z, so they're it's probably definitely not this person. Yeah, um, and there's partly a lot of people because they only just suspended active investigation of this case in July 2016. Right, this is only not even three years ago and that they were like, mm. they're saying like we're not actively investigating it, but please send us any like evidence you have and we'll evaluate it. Yeah, the case is still open. Yeah, um, but yeah, they processed over a thousand serious suspects between 71 and 2016. Jesus, so there's. Obviously, a lot of serious people. Right. And and also, some of it is different, too, because, like, they're like, oh, this person was, like, a paratrooper in Vietnam, or this person... Like, there's a lot of it that was working on the old assumption that he was really skilled, a really skilled, like, parachuter. And so, like, people put forward someone, but then it, like, turns out, like, no, actually, this person probably wouldn't be that type of person because of all the things we talked about. (laughs) This dude wasn't very good with parachutes. Right. This dude was not. Maybe not a paratrooper. Right. Yeah, so you've got your dude you favor. Yeah. So this guy, Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. So he was an Army veteran from Vietnam, um, and he was a helicopter pilot. Mm. So that 
made sense to me that he would have some kind of working knowledge of aircraft, but wouldn't have the specific knowledge of jumping out of an aircraft. Yeah. Um, he was an avid recreational skydiver, though. Right. Oh, was he? Yeah. See? All this, all of these. I know. But, so Nobody was, really fits. He was interesting because he committed a copycat hijacking April mm. 7th, 1972. So a year after. Not even. Not even a year. Less than a year after yeah. uh, D.B. Cooper's hijacking. He hijacked a Boeing with aft stairs mm -hmm. um, in Denver, landed in San Francisco, and then was flying to Mexico. Yep. Bailed out over Provo, Utah. Damn. Um, again, he asked for four parachutes. Um, he left, except he left the note behind. Yeah. Which is what got him caught. And fingerprints on a magazine he'd been reading. Right. Fool. So he he landed, so survived. Yep. And when they found him, he had some of the ransom money on him. Damn it, so dude. he definitely committed this crime. He also never said that he wasn't D.B. Cooper. They asked him specifically, and he huh. would just sort of give, like, non-answers. Interesting. He never said he wasn't. But he was an avid skydiver. So maybe, I mean, yeah. maybe the whole no working knowledge of parachutes thing, maybe he did that on purpose. Maybe he was good enough at, at, like, being a parachuter that he knew he didn't need the reserve chute right. and took it to throw the scent off of him right but this i don't know maybe this 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 guy he doesn't seem quite as this guy sucks he got arrested organized. two days later right he, he got definitely not as organized. 45 year sentence he escaped two years later hmm. with several accomplices they crashed a garbage truck through the main gate yeah oh i've heard about that and they were tracked down three months later in virginia beach he at least had like a nice little vacay yeah but then he was killed in a shootout with fbi so yeah he's the closest i could come and i don't even fully buy that yeah no, there are definitely, like, things that, and that's, like, again, with all, if we went through all the suspects, like, every single one, there's definitely a few that I, I read about, and I'm like, that doesn't even, yeah. like, match at all. Because it's usually but, just somebody saying, like, oh, I think my brother, or yeah. I think my husband, or someone, exactly. I think this person is D.B. Cooper because some, like, two or three things. Yeah. Who was no. your guy? Um. So, my guy was, well, not really my guy, but this is, like, my favorite story Yeah, that I heard about it. Um, Dwayne L. Weber, World War II Army veteran who served time in at least six prisons from 45 to 68 for burglary and forgery. Okay. Interesting. Um, so his widow, he had three days before he died in 1995, so 20 years later. Right. Um, he told his wife, I am Dan Cooper. So hmm. he's not. He's Dwayne Weber. Right. Said he was Dan Cooper. She... Said that name meant nothing to her, which I guess, you know, 20 years after. Yeah. I don't know how popular this case has always been. You know, like, I feel like there's definitely, like, been a resurgence, weirdly. Yeah. At least in my perception of, like, Unsolved Mysteries and stuff. I agree. Partly from the show Unsolved Mysteries, which D.B. Cooper has been on. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the name didn't mean anything to her. And, again, she's very different from me in the sense that I think if Nate was on his deathbed and said, I am, you know, Dan Cooper, right. I would, like... After, you know, some short period of grieving would, like, start looking up that shit to be like, what the fuck are you talking that, about? That name means nothing to me. Yeah, like, I'm like, not gonna, even going to look into that. I'm dying. So, um, months later, a friend of hers told her of its significance, like, in conjunction with this hijacking. So she went to her local library to research D.B. Cooper. She found this dude, Max Gunther's book, who had written a book, like, I think in the mid-80s on the case, and discovered notations in the margins in her husband's handwriting. Now, again, this, this was not pre-D.B. Cooper. It's not like he was looking up some book to, like, study what he was doing. But still, he had been to the library, read that book, and made little notations 
which I wish I knew what the notations were. Right. But still, she, like, recognized her husband's handwriting in the margins. That's wild. Um, she recalled in retrospect that her husband once had a nightmare during which he talked in his sleep about jumping from a plane, leaving his fingerprints on the aft stairs. <laughs> which is, like, what? He also reportedly told her that an old knee injury had been incurred by, quote, jumping out of a plane. He drank bourbon and chain-smoked, which... Who didn't in the 70s? <laughs> who didn't in the 70s? I mean, even in the 90s. Right. Um, other circumstantial evidence, he had a 1979 trip to Seattle and the Columbia River, during which Weber took a walk alone along the riverbank in the Tina Bar area. Interesting. So this was only four months before that kid made his ransom cash discovery in the same area. Right. Like, that's too crazy. That is. Um, they eliminated him as an active suspect in July 98 when his fingerprints didn't match any of those processed in the hijacked plane and no other direct evidence was found. And his DNA failed to match the samples that they got from his tie. But they weren't... The Bureau has basically said that they can't be certain that the organic material in the tie came from Cooper or not. Right. But still, no fingerprints seems odd. I mean, I can't imagine that D.B. Cooper didn't leave a single fingerprint anywhere. Right. But that was just my favorite... Thing that like yeah. somebody confessed on his deathbed yeah just days before he died and and then you find that out you're like what you, then you find his writing in the book yeah his writing that, in the book the like the trip hmm. i mean the trip is like two right i can't remember if it said i don't know if i knew where they lived i think like their closeness like their proximity to that columbia river area would be somewhat important to me i guess like right. if they were just like super close by but I feel like if they, like, specifically went to that area, like, for some other reason. See, my perception is it, it sounds like he was a D.B. Cooper enthusiast and was really interested in the story. Perhaps. And so it makes sense that he went to the Columbia River almost as, like, a pilgrimage. Right. To just see, like, where it might have happened and see if he could, like, maybe find some money or something. Yeah, because that wasn't that long. I mean, 1979, that was only, you know, seven-ish right. years after it happened. So, yeah, he could have just been like, oh, cool. Like, what a cool story. And like, then, like, checked out that book from the library and was making notes in it because he just wanted to read up on the story. Yeah. I feel like the real D.B. Cooper wouldn't do that. I mean, the nightmare was interesting, but even the nightmare, could if he was be... really into the case, right. he was thinking about it a lot, that shit gets into your nightmares. Right. Like, I have nightmares about weird stuff, or even just dreams about weird stuff all the time that oh, I'm, yeah. like, just thinking about a lot, and then it pops up, mm -hmm. you know? So if you're just, like fascinated by this case and you just keep obsessing about it it would make sense that it came out in your nightmares yeah he told her that the knee injury was like from jumping out of a plane but there's no he could have been like evidence. sort of crafting this whole mythos his whole his whole life yeah like he just wanted to be he like create like a like a good story you know what i mean like yeah. a way of like i mean like, kind of cool thing to leave your wife with honestly right because again he didn't it wasn't like not like you find <clears throat> like you're not like oh yeah i'm I was jack the, the ripper right i was the east area rapist <laughs> yeah like yeah sorry <laughs> and you're like fuck come Great. on like at least you're like whoa my husband yeah. was cool I, I, I'm Zodiac. <laughs> yeah. Like, no! But it's kind of a cool thing. So that was just my favorite story. And I think, I don't know when, where I heard that one, if that one was on Unsolved Mysteries, but I was just like, what? Like, <laughs> that'd be just such a cool thing. Again, I can't imagine Nate telling me that he was somebody totally different before he died and me not, like, immediately looking that up. Right. Like, I feel like I'd leave him on his deathbed to, like, go Google, like, who are you? Right. <laughs> what are you talking about? But, yeah, she, like, didn't even think of it. Um... But yeah, the, the hijacking marked the beginning of the end for unfettered and unscrutinized commercial airline travel. Yep. Which, again, talking about this earlier, like, he just walked in, bought a cheap-ass plane ticket, probably yeah. just hopped around the plane that was just making, like, its stops across the country. Just no issues at all. Um, 
Yeah, despite the initiation of the federal Sky Marshal program the previous year, 31 hijackings were committed in, the, in U.S. airspace in 72. Jesus. Almost half of those, 15, were unsuccessful copycats of Dan Cooper. Yeah. Which is crazy. Interesting. Um, 19 were for the specific purpose of extorting money, and most of the rest were attempts to reach Cuba. In 15 of the extortion cases, the hijackers also demanded parachutes. Interesting. Um, so yeah, in early 73, the FAA began requiring airlines to search all passengers and their bags. So that was like the end of that shit. They're like, yep. nope. Fuck this. No more bombs. Um, there were multiple lawsuits apparently charging that such searches violated Fourth Amendment protections against search and seizure, but federal courts ruled that they were acceptable when applied universally. Mm-hmm. So as long as everybody searched. Right. We're cool. And when limited to just searches for weapons and explosives. Right. So, which again is weird to think about because like our entire life oh, yeah. traveling has been like that. So it's like hard to imagine. I just can't even imagine. Right. They had a time when you just walked onto a plane and they had no idea what was on your person. Right. You could have had a knife or a gun or like any other thing. Right. It'd be, it'd be more similar to getting on a bus nowadays, like a Greyhound bus. Yeah. Actually that like, even getting on trains when we were in Europe, we took several trains because we were in Brussels. Mm-hmm. And we took a train to London, we took a train to Paris, and I remember, like, being freaked out by how there was, like, nothing. Yeah. I think maybe the train to London was a slight, like, just in the fact that you, like, walked through a thing. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure the train to Paris was just, like, just go sit in a waiting room and then just hop on. And I was like, wait, this is it? Right. Like, even the train, the bus we took from Boston to Maine. I'm like, somebody could have something on a bus. Oh, yeah. It's not quite as scary as a plane. But if somebody had a gun on a bus or had a knife or something, like, yeah. nobody would know. They'd literally just, you just walk up and hand your ticket and then hand them your bag. They don't know what's in the bag. There could be a bomb in that bag. Right. I mean, I guess, like, at least when you're coming from the airport, you probably don't have a weapon because you just got off a plane. Right. But if you're going anywhere, I mean, I could just go from my house and buy a bus ticket. Mm-hmm. Get on the bus with anything. Yeah. It's very they don't search shit. It's crazy. And me being me just spends the whole trip just looking around at everybody. <laughs> I do that anytime I'm flying. I'm like looking at everybody. I'm like, are you going to do some weird shit? Right. Please don't do some weird shit. Sometimes you have like flight groups that you're with and you're looking around. And you're like, these look like good people. Right. Like that woman looks like my grandmother. Right. Like those people over there have kids. Like they're probably not going to bomb the plane. Right. I'm just looking around at everybody, but then there's like always somebody or like a group of people that I'm like, you're up like to something. Like the guy next to you on that plane with his eyes half open. <laughs> yeah. It's like watching. I'm like... What are you up to, man? <coughs> I want to, like, ask you what you're doing, but I don't want to be weird. But you're being weirder. I don't want to know what you're doing, but I want to know what you're doing. I want to know what you're doing. Yeah, it was super weird. I think I was, like, reading a book, too. So I was, like, part of me was thinking that he was trying to, like, read my book while I was reading it. And I was like, bro, we can share. Right. I'll put it on the divider between us and we can both read it. Just, you have to stay at the same speed as me. <laughs> exactly. It was weird. But, yeah. Oh, and then... In the wake of the copycat hijackings, the FAA required that all Boeing 727 aircraft be fitted with a device, later dubbed the Cooper Vane, V-A-N-E. Cooper Vane. That prevents lowering of the aft air stair during flight. So you can't do that anymore. It's wild. That's crazy. And the installation of peepholes was mandated in all cockpit doors so that the cockpit crew could look at peoples in the cabin. People. Peoples. Wow. Peoples works. Peoples works. Without having to open the cockpit door. Super cool. And... Other random tidbit. In 2013, the owner of the skydiving school that gave the parachutes was found dead in his home. Oh, yeah. In a suburb of Seattle, a homicide due to blunt force trauma to the head. Interesting. Which they, the perpetrator remains unknown. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's really, like, any super good reason why they, like, it's not like he ever saw him or did anything. Right. But, um, yeah, some people, of course, think there's a link, but 
authorities said that they just thought it was burglary. Right. But it just is interesting that he died of blunt force trauma to the head. Like, he was murdered in his home. I guess if Dan Cooper jumped with that, like, shitty parachute that <laughs> yeah. had the dummy reserve chute. Yeah. And, like, was harboring a grudge about that. But right. like we were saying, he'd be in his 90s right now. So he'd yeah. be, like, in his mid-80s when this happened. So yeah. why would he choose at that time to go bludgeon somebody to death? Like, that's a very physical way to kill somebody. Right. I mean, if Which, you're in your 80s. We're going to assume that the owner of the skydiving school was also fairly old at that point. Right. So, like, because... an old man beating another old man to death. <laughs> yeah, like... It just doesn't seem... Likely. Seems unlikely, but I just like the little connection. Yeah, it is interesting. It's just weird. Interesting so connection. That's Dan Cooper. That's Dan Cooper. Which I still love it, and oh, I yeah. I like love it more that there's just no. It is. There's no solution to this. Truly unknowable. Yeah. We will probably never find out who DB Cooper was, for real, or maybe no. we will, and that will be super exciting. It would be amazing, because yeah, I just I want to know so bad. Right. And like, there's a pretty good like composite sketch of him and everything. Like, it's oh, yeah. amazing that nobody. That's the thing is, both of our, both of our guys, bear a very striking resemblance to yeah. the the um, the composite sketch. Exactly. Which is part of what made me think like, oh, I could see that. Yeah, this could be a thing. Yeah. But yeah, it's like either he died after parachuting, mm-hmm. or he has died at some point in his life. Since so what then. do you think? What do you think is the most likely? If you had to decide, what do you think happened to D.B. Cooper after he jumped? Man. I, like, as usual, I feel like my brain splits into, like, ten different things. I'm like, well, those conditions weren't great, so he probably died. But I also don't want him to have died. Right. So it would suck. I really, I have no real clear indication of, like, who he was. But I would really like to think that he survived, ditched the money, but he didn't really care about the money. Right. Because that was not his goal. And yeah, that he just like got out of those woods, was picked up by somebody. Like, I think that I think kind of ruins it for me in a little bit because I just can't imagine that there was somebody, unless he found his way to like make his way back home without like having to hitch a ride. Right. I would think that somebody would have mentioned at some point hearing about that case, like, oh yeah, I picked up a dude in a black suit that just came out of the woods. Unless he had arranged some sort of transportation. That's true. He could have, I mean, he had everything else figured out to a T. Right. He definitely could have had that, had somebody on hand. Right. So, yeah, my thought is, yeah, that he did survive. He did it for fun, for the thrill, to see if he could do it. Got out of the woods and just, like, went back to work on Monday. Lived a ha- happily ever after? Yeah, to his, like, boring, you know, office job or whatever. He's, like, some crazy, chemist. I don't even know. Yeah, chemist at work in a tie. And, like, he's just known for the rest of his life, just like, yeah, I did that. Right. He's seeing all these copycats. And he doesn't need, like, he doesn't need, like, the the notoriety. He's right. just cool knowing that he did it. He's the only, like you said, the only person that has committed, like, any form of air hijacking that has not been caught. Right. Which is pretty cool. It's wild. Yeah. So I, I admire him. Me too. I hope in a way that he's still out there somewhere. I agree. Maybe he was, like, already, I mean, if he had, like, a decent high-up job, like, if he worked some high-up job at Boeing... He probably had decent money anyways. He didn't need the money. He did not need that money. That's why he was so calm, because the money was just like, he just needed like a reason to do it, you know? Yeah, exactly. You don't just hijack a plane just to jump out of it. you got to get some ransom. Maybe he fucking hated Northwest Orient (laughs) Airlines. I was like, fuck these people. Yeah, fuck these people. Like, I wonder, I'd be curious to know if that whole situation like affected their sales of tickets. I'm pretty sure Northwest Orient Airlines does not exist any longer. I've never heard of it. that was also a long time ago. It could have just been like a subsidiary that's been bought by... Whoever. I'd be curious to know what happened to their, like, business after that. Or, like, that specific plane. I wonder if that right. plane's just sitting somewhere. Oh, that'd be cool. 
Damn. Right. They did say that, like, a few of the bills that they found, that that kid found on the beach, yeah. like, were auctioned off somewhere. Really? So it seems like potentially just some regular people, like, oh. have those bills. That'd be dope. That'd be dope. I would want one of those bills. Oh, yeah. Be super cool to, like, find one of those 20s. Right. Somewhere along the way, like, I'm just starting to, like, obsessively check the database. Like, every time I get a $20 bill, like, is this one? And, yeah, I think if I found it, I would just be like, this is mine. I think so, too. I don't yeah. think I'd turn it in. The FBI is busting down my door right now. They're like, you fucking already have one, don't you? <laughs> we know you do. Help us with this case. No, but I love him. Yeah. I agree. I love him a lot. It's one of my favorite, like, unsolved mysteries, just because it's pretty, like, lighthearted. Yeah. Like we were saying, like, we don't think he's a bad person. No. He's a nice it's guy. Great story. There's tons of detail, but not too much detail. Yep. We will probably never know who it was. Perfect example of just like YOLO. Yep. He was okay. like, you only live once. I'm going to hijack this plane. And he got away with it, so he's never done anything crazy since. Right. Because he like, like had it. his fill. He had his fill for his whole life. He's like, right. I'm good. Yeah. Freaking cool. So yeah. Episode 15. D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper, a.k.a. Dan Cooper. We'll still title the episode D.B. Cooper because, yeah. ugh. People will just be, be like, some, some dude, Dan Cooper. And they'll be like, oh, wait, D.B. Cooper? Whoa. Oh, shit. Is that what the D stands for? That's what the D stands for. Dan Billiam Cooper. Billiam? I just made that up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, episode 15. So definitely make sure you leave us a review or at least rate us on Apple Podcasts. Yep, that's a huge help. Huge help to get us out there. Right. Check out our Patreon Always Which, new stuff being added. Always new. Always check it. There's going to be developments. Yep. Check us out on Instagram and on Facebook. And ultimately, just talk to us. Right. Comment. Send us a DM. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, anything we could do differently, or if there's anything you want to hear. Some kind of topic that you are fascinated in and want to hear us ramble about. Yeah. We'll do it. Right. Give us some ideas. Tell us a story. Right. That's unknowable. 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 Love you. <laughs> <laughs>